Congregation, I may teach you God's word this afternoon. As the church has summarized it and confesses it in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 41, let us read then the two questions and answers of this Lord's Day. There we confess together, what does the seventh commandment teach us? That all unchastity is cursed by God. We must therefore detest it from the heart and live chaste and disciplined lives both within and outside of holy marriage. Does God in this commandment forbid nothing more than adultery and similar shameful sins? Since we, body and soul, are temples of the Holy Spirit, it is God's will that we keep ourselves pure and holy. Therefore, he forbids all unchaste acts, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever may entice us to unchastity. And so far, the catechism. And after the teaching of God's word, let us respond in song. Let us sing from Psalm 119, the stanzas 4, 5, and 6. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is there any command of God more ridiculed today than his seventh commandment, which says you shall not commit adultery? Yes, today adultery is made to seem as, as natural. Homosexuality is made to seem as right. Sex before marriage as just fine. No-fault divorce and remarriage as A-OK. It's sad to say we live in a world which promotes all kinds of sexual immorality. Be it in the TV shows and commercials we watch, in the movies we view, in the music we listen to, and of course on the internet we, we use. Actually, porn makes up 60% of daily web traffic. And even among children ages 8 to 16 with internet access, 90% have viewed porn online. And the average age of exposure is 11 years old. You see, the seventh commandment is not just being ridiculed, it's being smashed to pieces with horrifically grim results for all, be we single or married. As we live in the midst of and they call the sexual revolution. And then none of us, none of us, whether we are younger or older, single or married, are immune from the dangers of sexual immorality, whether we have the internet or not, or live in the city or in the country, we all struggle to fully obey God's command to live chaste and disciplined lives, sexually speaking is to be truly obedient to the seventh command seems so difficult, especially when he forbids not just adultery and similar shameful sins, but all unchaste acts, gestures, thoughts, words, desires, and whatever may entice us to unchastity. Well, thankfully, God promises us the help of his Holy Spirit to fight the battle against sexual lust, which so quickly so easily wells up within us. For yes, it is God's will that we keep ourselves, yes, sexually pure and holy, also outside of marriage. And so God's word then comes to you this afternoon as the church has summarized it and confesses it in Lord's Day 41 under this theme. The Lord commands the unmarried to be sexually pure in this lust-filled world. 
We'll look first at the beauty of this command, and second, the struggle with this command, and third, the help with this command. I repeat, the Lord commands the unmarried, our focus will be on the unmarried this afternoon, to be sexually pure in a lust-filled world. We'll look at the beauty, the struggle, and the help with this command. Yes, beloved, in the very beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, everything was very beautiful and pure, also when it came to sexuality. As Genesis 1 tells us so clearly, when God created man in his own image, both male and female, he created them. Indeed, God, our Father, the Creator, made all human beings either male or female. And so you see that distinction between the two sexes was not something that man made up. No, it was divinely created. And therefore, it also was very good. Now, this is something which is lost in today's world of gender blending. And you cannot tell with certain people from their hairstyle, the clothes they wear, whether they're male or female. And you see this especially with certain music and movie stars. Beloved, there is no blessing from God and on such perversion as God says later on in his law. A man should not wear women's clothing and a woman man's clothing. Indeed, God seeks to maintain the distinction of man and woman which, which he has established there in the very beginning. Now actually in Genesis 2, we are given a very good description of his creation of both male and female. And know well how God created man. That is Adam, the male. He created man, yes, first. And then he observed that it was not good that man should be alone, and as he said, I will make a helper suitable for him. And indeed, that woman was meant to complement man. And so the Lord God made woman from the rib which he took out of man. And so you see, our sexuality, our being male or female, belongs to the good creation work of our Heavenly Father. And so, yes, when we're also formed in our, our mother's womb, God creates us there either as male or female. And when we are born to our parents, yes, children, we are either little boys or little girls. And so we also are to grow up as God made us, as either boys or girls. And what a truly beautiful gift from God, our Creator, to be either a boy or a girl. And then as we grow up as children, yes, it is our parents' responsibility to teach us about how we were made in our mother's womb how we were created as either boys or girls. And yes, this is to be talked about, and it's to be taught in a, in a God-pleasing way. So that, yes, when our children grow up and become teenagers, they may use this beautiful gift in a responsible and an obedient way. Yes, only then will this gift of, of sexuality be a source of blessing and true delight to our children, to our teenagers. I realize, beloved, there are many forces at work in this world which will, which will push our sinful children to make bad choices when it comes to sexuality. Yes, from in the earliest years, our, our children are, are bombarded by destructive and false messages about the nature of, of sexuality. And these messages, they come through music and television and the internet's discussion with friends in the playground and so forth. And the results, yes, the result can be horrific. 
You have distressing rates of, of sexual experimentation in teenage pregnancy, abortion, sexually transmitted diseases, and so forth. And so, yes, God calls us then as parents, as Christian parents, to be the primary instructors about this beautiful gift to, to our children, to our teenagers. And so, yes, the first messages they hear about sexuality, as they say, are the most important and the most powerful. And what a truly beautiful gift this is. And why not then present it to our children the way that God intended? Just let our children turn to us as parents to find out God's truth about sexuality. To learn how God himself looks at this gift. And so, yes, let us equip them. Let us equip them according to the truth of God's word. Equip them so that they may indeed be, yes, truly ready for teen years. And then let us realize then that we also need to talk with them about this beautiful gift of sexuality. Yes, in a manner that is appropriate to each age. So let's have that godly truthful, tactful, appropriate discussions, not discussion, but discussions about sexuality with them. For they will ask those questions. My children are already asking, like, where do I come from? And so our children, our young children, must, must see, sexually speaking, that their bodies are beautiful gifts from the Lord God, that they must develop, yes, this wonderful appreciation for God's splendid gift, May our children not come to think of this gift as something dirty, as something sinful. And let us not just let our children be inundated with the destructive and perverse messages of the world around us. And so, yes, let us as parents build strong, loving relationships with our children when they are young. May they know from what we say to them and do for them and with them that they are truly loved by us. For yes, if our children, our teens, are starved for proper love from us, they will, they will seek it elsewhere. And then that's where they can confuse love with premarital sex. And so yes, we need to have a loving relationship, a close relationship with our children. And we also need to seek to instill in our children, yes, that ability to resist peer pressure, to stand up for what is right also sexually speaking, and not to be overly concerned about looking cool or hot for others or nor to be caught up in that need for instant gratification. Yes, let them learn also from us the, the gift of self-control. And also then learn how to build, yes, meaningful and healthy relationships and friendships. For yes, as our children grow up, they will experience big changes, especially as they enter into what we call teenage years. Suddenly when they go through those years, they experience big changes in their bodies, and as we all know, our hormones begin to pump and, and the sexual drive develops within us. We suddenly begin to feel a strong, yes, a strong attachment, an attraction to the opposite sex. And yes, this is normal. This is the way our Lord God designed us to be. This is how he wired us. He, he wired us with, you can say, with this incredible sexual drive. And here too, then, we as parents, we need to provide, yes, that appropriate guidance to our teens as, as they experience these changes. 
We need to point out to them that the Lord God is preparing them to become adults. And therefore, yes, as teens, you you need not feel ashamed, you need not feel guilty about having this desire for the opposite sex. This is a good desire which God himself has created. But realize that this beautiful gift from him must also be used in the right time. It needs to be used in, in obedience to his word and obedience to the seventh commandments. For yes, God created this beautiful gift of sexual desire, of love, to be used not before or outside of marriage, but only within marriage. In that beautiful, loving relationship of, of husband and wife. That's why the Lord God charges the daughters of Jerusalem there in the Song of Songs, chapter 2. <laughs> Do not arouse or waken love until it so desires. Basically what he's saying here is keep this sexual desire for expressing your intimate love within marriage. Remember, God gave us marriage for two purposes. So that husband and wife may live together in deep love and so help each other. And the second purpose, yes, is to be fruitful and increase in number and have children. Now, the Lord God didn't make us as male and females the same. No, he made us gloriously different, we can say. We were made by the Lord God to complement each other and created in each man this desire to romance, to, to win the affection of a woman. And yes, God created each woman with this desire to make herself attractive for, for a man. And so we read also in the Song of Songs, we read of this beautiful love between a young man and a young woman. And listen to what this young woman says of herself. He says, she says there, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valley. And she sees herself, yes, as attractive, like a beautiful flower. And listen to what is said of the young man by this young, young lady. She says, listen, my lover, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding across the hills. My lover is like a gazelle, like a young stag. Look there, he stands behind the wall, gazing through the window, peering through the lattice. The lover spoke to me and said, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. You see, all this is part of God's wonderful design in creation. Is this is the way it is to be between men and women, between male and female. And yet we also know from God's words, that mankind fell into sin there in paradise. And as a result, this, this beautiful gift of, of sexuality was also corrupted by sin. Instead of sexual desire welling up, sexual lust does well up also in the hearts of man. And what is lust? It's sexual desire gone wrong. His lust covets what God has clearly forbidden. And that source of that lust is within our own sinful hearts. And so, yes, we need to distinguish between sinful lust and, and good sexual desire. For example, it's not lust to be attracted to someone of the opposite sex. It's not lust to notice if someone is good-looking. And the crucial point is how we respond to our sexual desires as I said, noticing an attractive person is not wrong, but undressing that person with our eyes, that's wrong. Clearly wrong. 
And so we see how easily good sexual desire becomes sinful sexual lust. And so you also see then that there's a real struggle to, to, to obey this command. And so often we fail. And so it is a struggle. And that's our second point. Yes, as teens, as, as young adults, but also as, as older adults, we, we struggle to remain, yes, sexually pure and chaste. We struggle to be obedient to the seventh commandment. And we read from Proverbs 5, and we get a description of this struggle. The struggle there of a young man to be obedient. And yes, this young man, he's warned by his father. My son, the father said, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight that, that you may maintain discretion. Your lips may preserve knowledge. And yes, like the father in this passage, we as fathers and as mothers are, are to be there, yes, to help our, our teenagers, our, our young adult children. And so, yes, as teens, as young adults, don't be so foolish as to ignore your parents and others' warnings when it comes to, to remaining sexually pure and chaste before you're married. Realize your parents and other adults no better the, the danger you might be getting into when it comes to sexual immorality. We read the warning there of the father, warning about the adulteress. Read that description. Her lips drip honey, her, her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her, her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked and she knows it not. You see, this woman, this woman is lethal for men. She's devious. And you read later on in chapter 7, she's restless, she's brazen. You say she's, she's one-dimensional. She's about one thing only, and that's sex. And she's out to seduce young guys with sex. She's completely sexualized. You might ask, well, who's this woman today? And sure, she may be the prostitutes in some street and you're in the city. Or some good-looking woman working at some strip club. She might be some young woman who hangs out in the local bar and works the crowd there. But isn't this also the woman of internet porn of today? The one who pops up on your computer screen at home or is on your iPad as you, as you sit in the car? That's porn major problem today. Not just for teenage boys, but also for younger and older men. And yes, porn, it's devious. It promises an outlet for, for your lust. It invites you to the dream world, fantasy world. It's brazen, actually, on the internet. It flaunts its stuff, finding its way to get you through pop-ups and hyperlinks and those who promote this on the internet, they're master marketers. They know how to get you in and to keep you in. And it's all, yes, you can say one-dimensional. It promises you only one thing that is to fulfill your sexual desires, your sexual lusts. And yes, the stuff is deadly. You start, yes, in a dream world, in a fantasy world, but very quickly you find yourself in a real nightmare and that's what's described here for us in Proverbs 5. And there the father warns, my son, listen to me. 
Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Don't go near the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and years to the one who is cruel. And at the end of your life, you will groan. When your flesh and your body are spent, and you will say, oh, I hated discipline. How my heart spurned correction. I wouldn't obey my teachers, listen to my instructors. How I've come to the brink of utter room in the hall assembly. I realize the negative effect of porn is well known. It's deadly. Spiritually and also physically deadly, mentally deadly. It's known to rewire the brain so that it becomes difficult or next to impossible to relate to real women in a God-glorifying in a pure and loving manner. It leads us as men to demean women, seeing them nothing more than sexual objects. It feeds selfishness, needs neglect of work, being isolated from others. And I could go on and realize it's not fixed by getting married. What porn will do for your future marriage is destroy it. And so brothers, younger and older alike, let's heed the warning of the Lord God. Keep to a path far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. Just turn away from this and all, all kinds of sexual immorality. Just let us turn away from our our sexual, wrong sexual desires, let us repent from them. Yes, this is a real struggle for those who believe in Jesus Christ. For let us realize that, that lust is never satisfied, it's never quenched. As soon as the object of, of lust is gained, lust wants something more. And the payoff of lust is a continual lust for more. And that's why we then need to avoid and, and need to flee from, from even making those lustful looks. Yes, as our Lord Jesus Christ said there in Matthew 5, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so as younger, but also as older men, let us learn. Let us learn not to stare. Let us as Christian men, yes, have eye-to-eye contact, not eye-to-somewhere-else contact. And it's so important then as how we as young men and young women and how we dress is to help the opposite sex to, to be yeah, sexually chaste and pure. We, we need to dress modestly. Now, as ladies, we don't need to wear burqas. We need not be taking over the immodest styles of the world around us. And wherever we are, whether in church or at home or on the beach, we need not to be leading one another into temptation. And what about our words? And dirty jokes coming out of our mouths on the job site or on the playground. And when we hear such jokes, do we laugh along with or, or not? And... What about getting caught up in sexually perverted talk on Facebook or in the chat line? This is teenagers, as, as young adults, then we also need to, 
to watch how we, we physically interact with those of the opposite sex. We keep our hands off each other's bodies. No giving each other full frontal hugs. No spending all kinds of time alone as boyfriend or girlfriend. And then it becomes really easy to become physically very close to each other. It leads to greater temptations. And so we strive to guard our sexual purity, our sexual chastity. Well, it doesn't mean that you need to flee having relationships with the opposite sex. Now let's seek to have genuine friendships with them. Leave the physical part, yes, for later. Leave it for much later for when you're married. And then also, let's not buy into the lies of our own sinful flesh and the world around us. Lies like, it's my body. I can do with it as I want. No, your body, my body, do not belong to you and me. For do you not know that your body, my body, are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Keep it pure and holy, sexually speaking. Or what about the lie? Well, I can't control my sex drive. Now, the truth is, the truth of God's word is that it is his will that you and I be sanctified, that you and I should flee sexual immorality, that each of you should learn, yes, to control his or her own body in a way that is holy, in a way that is honorable. Or what about the lie? Well, I won't experience any real consequences for indulging my sexual lust. I mean, but the truth is, the scriptural truth is, we'll have to give account to, to God for all these sins, also for those done in secret. For realize with these sins, yeah, we offend others, but we also offend the Lord God, our most holy God. He didn't call us to be sexually impure, and so let us come clean with the Lord God. For if we don't, then our sins, when they are full grown, they give birth to death, to spiritual death. And so let us then each day again seek the forgiveness of sins with the Lord God. Seek forgiveness of also these sins in the blood of Jesus Christ. Because thankfully our Lord Jesus Christ came into this world. He came to deliver us also from our sins against the seventh commandment. He came into this world, and when he did, he assumed our flesh and blood. He became a true man in the full sense of the word. He was the man who also had sexual desires, and he too faced sexual temptations like all of us. Yet he remained throughout his life here on earth, even to the end of his life, obedient, truly obedient to the seventh commandment. Yet so he became one of us. In order to save us from our sin, which corrupts, which perverts our sexuality. Yes, he gave his life for the complete forgiveness of these sins. And let us believe then that these sins too are washed away in his blood. Yes, as young people, hold fast to the promise of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Do not doubt your forgiveness of your sins against this commandment. Oh, these sins, these sexual sins can make us doubt God's promise. 
We feel so ashamed and guilty with these sins. And we even wonder, well, can God really forgive us for them? And we may even feel a certain alienation from God because of them. Yet let not our feelings distract us from the rock-solid reality that God forgives us these sins. And we are truly forgiven when we believe in him. And when we sin for the millionth time, then in true faith and repentance cry out for his incredible mercy. God does forgive. Really, how blessed are we when God doesn't count these sins against us. And since we're forgiven, we're made right before God, can we continue in these sins? Absolutely not. If we're truly forgiven, truly righteous before God, then we also desire to be sanctified by his Spirit. And that brings us to our last one, the help with this command. Indeed, we must look outside of ourselves to God the Spirit. Yes, he must powerfully work within us, also as young men and young women, for you know what the problem is with, say, internet porn or restricted movies? It's you and me. We need to be sanctified. It's our own hearts that lead us to sin. As, as Jesus said himself, and we heard it this morning, for from within, out of the heart of men, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, and so forth. All of these evil things come from within. They defile us. Indeed, the sexual sins are, are not out there in the media and the strip clubs and the gal with the tight t-shirt and jeans. The true problem is within, it's with you and with me. This is one writer put it, from the sinfulness of our hearts, the lust and sin proceed like sewage from a culvert. That's the painful and unvarnished truth. And that's why we need the Spirit to live within us, to make us His holy temple. And since we are temples of the Holy Spirit, it's God's will that we keep ourselves then pure and holy, sexually speaking. Now, how do we do this? We need to know ourselves well. You and I need to know where each of us is weakest to temptation. And so for each one of us, a tailor-made plan of help is, is necessary. Yes, each one of us is unique in how we are tempted by lust, by sexual lust. And this shouldn't surprise us. We all have different backgrounds, different weaknesses, different sinful tendencies. And all this combined then makes us particularly vulnerable to sexual lust in, in certain situations. And so, yes, we need to identify those, those lust triggers. It could be the time of day when you're tired, tempted to feel sorry for yourself. It could also be tempting locations. It could be the magazine rack at the drugstore. It could be internet access to the computer in the basement, home. Each one's different. Yet what we all need to do is perform what is it said in Scripture? Yes, radical self-surgery. It's mentioned there in, in Matthew 5. We read that passage. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better, Jesus Christ said, for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Really, we should all be amputees on our way to heaven. And so we also need to get radical 
in dealing with this pernicious sin. And we only have, yes, done something sexual that is, that is criminal against the laws of the land. That means then we, as, yes, as adults, need to report these to the police. And says believers, we're not beyond the law. The laws are given there for the protection of all of us. And we also, as parents, as teens, we need to get rid of, say, the internet connections in our bedrooms. We may have to install all the covenant eyes on our, on our computer to have some accountability for what we're viewing. We make sure that yet certain magazines and novels simply don't enter our homes. Maybe adequately may make radical changes in our entertainment habits. But over the real-time wasting habit of watching a lot of movies. Nothing better to do, watch another movie, and in doing so we throw out our discernment. Really, what about watching only that which is worth viewing, which brings glory to God? What about TV watching using the remote? You know how it goes, surfing as we go, oh, like this, like that. Oh, look at that, pretty cool. So what kind of package do we have for the TV? Does it include certain adult channels? Can we not deny ourselves? Really, there is no such thing as they say as must-see TV. And then we also wonder why we don't have time for more important things, like being involved in the communion of saints. And so, yes, we need to fight. Fight the fleeting pleasure of sexual sin with the far, far greater, more abiding pleasure of knowing our Lord God. We need to be building an ever stronger bond of faith in the Lord God. For yes, the fight for sexual purity is the fight of faith. It's a real fight. It's a real struggle. Let's not kid ourselves. And we have God's promise to help us. He gives us the power to fight, to resist. If we truly believe that he has the power to raise Jesus Christ from the dead, he also has the power to help us, to change us, to make us holy by his Holy Spirit. And so we may, with the Spirit, experience real change, increasing holiness and purity in our lives. And so let us also help each other in this struggle. Let us as teens, as young adults, but also as older adults, make ourselves accountable to each other for our struggles with our, with our sinful sexual desires. I'm sure our accountability should not be with someone of the opposite sex, but someone of the same sex, be it our parents, our friends, our office bearers. Someone to help us, to hold us accountable, to admonish us, but also to encourage us. For those who try to go it alone, are so easily brought to eternal ruin. As they say, lone rangers usually become dead rangers. As those who are isolated in poor relations, be it with the parents, or others in the communion saints, those who don't seek out friendships in the church of Christ, very easy targets for all kinds of sexual temptation. So easy to be left alone in your own home, in your own bedroom, in your own computer, your own iPad, doing your own thing, not coming out to church events, not meeting other believing young peoples. And before you know, you meet so-and-so on Facebook, and you can just, just drift off. 
And so you see then the need to, to be involved in the communion of saints also then as, as young people, seeking one another out in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, this is where you, you need to find your boyfriend, your girlfriend, among God's people here and in other places. As we seek out then as young people, those who first of all committed to serving the Lord Jesus Christ with their entire life, who truly desire to forsake the world, to crucify their own nature. Seek out those who are, are committed to being living members of his church. And when there is that common commitment, then we consider going out with them. And then as we're going out together as boyfriend, girlfriend, also called there to keep ourselves yes, sexually pure, sexually chaste. Then we seek to pray together for the help of the Spirit, to help exercise self-control, to control, yes, that, that healthy sexual desire for one another. And then we don't place ourselves in positions of temptation, spending all kinds of time alone with each other. And we don't get physical first and leave the discussion of important things for later. Well, that falling in love with each other as a young couple is a beautiful thing. So it's described there in God's word in the Song of Songs. But such love is not to be stirred up, waken up, until it so desires. And that rule is actually repeated more often in this song. And what does it mean? It means that, that love, love between a young man and woman, must not be forced. It mustn't be hurried or pushed along by either of them. The one's going out. Yes, true love does not insist on its own way. It doesn't say, well, if you love me, you'll have sex with me before we get married. Indeed, the love of a young couple ought not to be aroused until it is right, until it's good, until it's pleasant. It shouldn't be rushed along by our, our sexual lusts, by the desires of our sinful flesh. No, let that love grow. Let it grow in the way directed by the Lord God. Unless he approves, it will not be truly desirable, truly pleasing. Yes, let that love come to, to deep sexual intimacy only within marriage. And so may the Lord God guide us, also as, as unmarried believers, and guide us by his spirit and word, guide us by the seventh command, and in that way may his name be glorified by our pure and chaste, yes, thoughts, words, and actions. Amen.